Transferring wealth successfully starts with asking yourself questions that will give your family a better life now and for generations to come. In this podcast, financial professionals John and Michael from Copper Beach Financial Group guide you through eye-opening questions to help you discover the truth about your wealth. Now, on to the show. Hello and welcome to The Truth About Wealth with John and Michael Priest of Copper Beach Financial Group. Today, they have brought in a special guest, and that is Paul Dietrich. Paul Dietrich is CEO and Chief Investment Officer of Fairfax Global Markets, LLC. Fairfax currently manages investments for private investors, retirement funds, and private institutions throughout the United States. He is an international corporate attorney and was formerly associated with two Washington, D.C. law firms, Squire Sanders and Dempsey, which is now Squire, Patton, Boggs, and Jones Day. He has been an advisor on privatization and economic development issues to the World Bank, as well as several governments in Asia, Eastern Europe, and the former Soviet Union. Good morning, gentlemen. How are you? Good morning, Eric. Good morning, Eric. Great. Hello, Paul. How are you? Great. Wonderful. Thank you so much for being here. Michael and John, why did you bring Paul in today? Well, we, we brought Paul in. Paul's actually the, the chief economic analyst that we have at Copper Beach. And as we've talked about on some prior podcasts, we uh, are, are outsourced to a lot of specialists. And mm-hmm. especially when you look at the economic world that we live in today, we need experts in that world. And Paul is, is a, a foremost expert in that. And so we brought him in today really because to talk about two recent economic developments uh, that we think are, are pretty important for our listeners to really uh, get ahead on. Uh, so that's really why we brought him in today is to really get, give us a sort of a state of the markets and, and um, uh, state of the economy, so to speak. Awesome. I'm here to learn. Teach me, teach me. <laughs> so, well, so Paul, we, uh, there's a lot going on here, uh, which I, I'm sure you will get into. But most recently, we're seeing a couple things about, we're starting to hear some rumblings about uh, recession on the horizon. Uh, we're in a you know, ten-year bull run now, and uh, I think at least when we talk with our clients, that's really foremost in their mind is sort of trying to predict uh, when the recession is going to happen because it, it, we know that it's going to happen at some point. We can't have this ten-year uh, bull run going going on forever. So, what are you seeing in that in that side of the world that maybe uh, put on your crystal ball a little bit and figure out where where we're headed? Yes. Uh, well, there's no question that we will have a recession at some point. I mean, economists look at recessions as kind of, uh, it's like the the day, you know, the night following day. Uh, it's part of the cycle. It's a cleansing of the economy. And so it's actually a good thing, except that when you watch your money going away uh, in a down market, you don't think it's a good idea. Right. But uh, in the broader scheme of things, it actually is. Uh, and there's no question we're now in our 11th year of the longest uh, economic boom in the history of the United States. And all economists can see a slowing down uh, of the economy. And uh, one of the things that I've been doing for over 20 years now is is watching leading economic indicators in the United States. Those are the indicators that kind of go down eight to 18 months before you start noticing uh, something's happening in the economy. 
And um, this is what I talk a lot about on CNBC and and Fox Business News. Uh, And what we're seeing now, uh, you know, last year we had 3.1% growth. Uh, The GDP figures just uh, came out this week. uh, And it looks like we're going to have about 2.5% growth uh, this year uh, in 2019 and probably 1.9, 1.9, 2% growth uh, next year. Uh, you have to put all this into context. If you remember during the last four years of the Obama administration, the average growth was about 2.2%. And we still had a, a bull market uh, in the United States. Uh, but there's there's no question that uh, a, a recession is coming. You know, one of the things that people learn in Economics 101 is that over the long term, the U.S. stock market always follows the directional trend of the underlying U.S. economy. If the U.S. economy is growing and expanding in the long term, the U.S. stock market will go up. And if the U.S. economy is plateauing or going sideways, you know, the U.S. stock market in the long term will go sideways. And If the U.S. economy is declining, the stock market in the long term will decline with it. Now, in the short term, you know, it does all sorts of crazy things. It reacts to President Trump's tweets. It reacts to, you know, what the North Koreans are doing. I I can assure you whatever happens in Brexit, uh, you know, when that comes at the end of October, uh, the stock market will react. But I try to, and I think all investors ought to try to, look at all that stuff as noise. Even to some degree, the the trade uh, war with uh, with China, although that's having some real economic impact, not not as much as you know you would uh, think, given the coverage on uh, news shows. But it still has some some impact, but most of this stuff is just noise. And in the long run, you just have to look at the underlying economy to know where the stock market is going. It is starting to slow. And the big question is, is uh, when is it going to start? And I've kind of compare all the leading economic indicators and you you can actually you can't time the market, but you can know generally when the next recession is coming just by looking at these leading economic indicators. Now, for example, when when I look at every month, I look at UPS and Federal Express and uh, the railroads and ocean freight shipments, and if shipping starts to decline year over year. It means companies are buying less, and that's not good. And manufacturing, when manufacturing starts to go from three factory shifts to two shifts, uh, orders are slowing. And when companies begin lowering inventory, they expect sales decline. And so these are the indicators that start dropping before investors start seeing official sales and earnings and manufacturing declines. And that's why they're called leading U.S. economic indicators. And so I I analyze all of these. And if you look at them right now, all there are about 28 of them. um, You know, there are four that are going sideways. There are two that are in negative territory. And I'll tell you what those are in a second. But 
the rest of the economy is doing really well. I mean, GDP is growing and expanding. Uh, unemployment's going down to at a 50-year low. Wages are going up. Basically, the economy is doing quite well, uh, and um, and we're only seeing a few things that are uh, starting to go sideways or a few negative things. And uh, I look uh, the CAS freight index, which looks at shipping, because that's a really important one. Uh, it's been going down for about five or six months now, but uh, that there are a lot of people who think that could change because shipping has gone down because of the tariffs and the trade war with China. There's there's no question that that's been affected. So we're trying to figure out whether this is just a short-term thing over the last six months, and it'll go back up when there's a trade agreement. But the inverted yield curve, that's something you've probably been hearing about on the, on the TV. Right. It is... It's something you need to pay attention to. Since the 1950s, 100% of the time when it inverts uh, and, it, and it becomes officially a recession signal, it means we're going to have a recession. And I'll tell you how it works. And they never tell you this on television. I was going to ask, Paul, if you, thanks, could, thanks for that. <laughs> if you, if yeah. you could explain because that that is something that I know our clients have heard when when they listen right. to TV or they read you know the Wall Street Journal they hear about inverted yield curves and they aren't quite sure what that means so no it's it's one of these things where your eyes roll over you know, <laughs> nobody knows what it, it is but the reason the inverted yield curve matters is that if short term right rates uh, interest rates climb higher than long term rates that's what's known as an inversion. This kills lending by banks and financial institutions, and lending becomes unprofitable and can implode. Uh, and so that's why it matters. However, most academics believe for this to become a true recession signal, the yield must stay inverted for at least two to three months before it can credibly be said to be sending a clear economic recession signal. Now, the 10-year uh, versus the three-month yield, which is what the government uses to kind of determine whether there's a re uh, recession, um, that actually has just recently, uh, you know, it's, it's stayed down for three months, because if it just inverts for a day and goes back up again, nobody pays any attention to it. But uh, it is. It has now triggered. Uh, I think at August 23rd, it actually triggered the recession signal. But what this means is, I wouldn't get too panicked. Is that this is the earliest of the early warning signals? Historically, and again, going back to World War II, it, this gives us a signal 15 to 18 months. Uh, or seven, usually 17 to 18, but one time it was 15. Uh, that means we won't have a recession for about, you know, 17, 18 months from now, which means it will be the last couple months of next year or the beginning of um, 2021. And you have to remember the stock market, if you look back at all of the previous recessions, in most cases, the stock market reaches 
uh, record highs about three or four months before we go into recession. So you don't want to get out of the market now when you hear that there's a recession signal for 18 months from now, because you're going to miss a lot of profits uh, this year and next year. Presidential election years historically uh, have been, um, you know, really good years for the stock market. And it's usually because whoever is president, and I think it's particularly true of our current president, uh, is that he is going to use every single uh, tool at his disposal uh, to win this election. I mean, he now has enough people that he's appointed to the uh, Federal Reserve. I think you're going to see rate cuts uh, probably in late September. You're going to see more rate cuts next year. He's going to use every tool that he has available to him uh, to make sure that this economy uh, is is booming before the election. Yeah, he's uh, been tough on the Fed. He's been yeah, hammering on yeah, for the last couple of months. Yeah, and he's gotten to do what he wants, and now that he's appointed a few new people, he's uh, he's going to get that stuff through. So next year, uh, they're going to be, and I, they're going to be goosing the economy, and I use that term uh, as a an economic term of art, uh, and uh, he, he is. Uh, He's going to make sure. And so I think the stock market's going to be good this year. I think it's going to be really good next year. And after the election, uh, Katie bar the door because uh, we're probably going to have a, a recession shortly thereafter. N normally, I would say that a recession, uh, this next recession will be a mild recession. Uh, we've had two, the 2001-2002 the, the recession, the S&P 500 went down peak to trough during that recession, about 18 months, went down 49%. And then in the last recession, it went down 57% during the 18 months or so of, of the recession. I think this one will probably be about 35%. But I, I have a warning for people. Uh, in 2008 and 2009, during the last recession, we really didn't have something that we have now because of technology. Um, we don't have algorithmic uh, computer trading. That, that's computer trading where there's no human being involved in the trading. And at some point, you got you know fifty two percent on a daily basis of trades are made by these computers, and it's causing massive volatility. So what you see is if you see any little selling in the market on a given day because of a tweet of the president's or something else happening in the world, all of a sudden the market just gyrates down. And then about three or four o'clock in the afternoon, all the exchange traded funds have to, sell in order to match their fund with the index that they're tracking. That drives down the market. And then the last 15, 20 minutes of the day, those algorithmic uh, computer trading, they even drive it down further. So we could see, you know, normally I would say we're going to have about a 35% drop uh, in the next recession in the S&P 500. But because of this, this crazy trading that drives, artificially drives the volatility down, 
when the market's going down, you know, we could see 50% drop in the S&P 500. You're sending your curveball real quickly here. Mm -hmm. But as a strategist, if you know and you're and you're looking at this trend over the next 18 months to to, to two years on the cycle of of getting into this recessionary piece should clients be looking at other asset classes repositioning their assets hold cash to buy into the down market what would you typically recommend a client to consider in this time frame or or just just hold on and and and, and not do anything no, uh, that's not the answer, holding on and not do anything. Um, you know, most people, they spend all their lives, uh, you know, building up money for their retirement. And uh, and then to watch, as we saw in 2001 and 2002, yeah, the market go down 49%. And then in 2008, 2009, go down 57%. Most people, they, you know, they, they know it's going to go up again eventually. But I always tell my clients that the best money they'll ever make is the money they don't lose in one of these recessions. And I'll tell you why. You know, if you buy a stock for $100 and it drops 50%, that means it's $50. But to go from $50 back to break even again at $100, that's 100% gain. And I don't care whether you're Warren Buffett. You can't do that quickly or easily without taking a lot of risk. And for most people in the last recession, it took them five and a half years to get back to break even. That means they weren't making any money just to get back to where they were in 2007 Five and a half years, and that's just too long. And I agree with people who say you can't time the market. I mean, you know, if you can figure out when President Trump is going to tweet something, uh, you're a better man or woman than I am uh, because uh, I I don't know how to, you know, to figure that out or what he's going to do. But you can time the underlying economy because it runs, you know, we're now in the 11th year of this cycle. It's been an up cycle. And you can watch these leading economic indicators and they all start going sideways first. And then, you know, majority of them, when they start uh, declining, you, these are leading economic indicators. You can usually get out uh, of the market and reposition. In 2000, uh, in, in, in late 2000, I went on the Financial News Network, which is now called CNBC, but at that time it was Financial News Network. And I was talking about these leading economic indicators. And, you know, I basically said I was repositioning my clients into safer in investments, and I moved most of them uh, into. Uh, bonds during that period of time, and bonds were paying something. We, the market went down 49% during that recession, but my clients went up 7%. And then in 2008 and 2009, just before Lehman Brothers collapsed, I was on both CNBC and, uh, and uh, Fox Business News saying, you know, these economic indicators are starting to decline. Now's the time to start rethinking your portfolios. And then Lehman Brothers collapsed. I had already started moving clients out, but we did lose, uh, I believe it was 8%, uh, but that was better than losing 57%. We recovered in a few months when the market went back up again, whereas it took 
five, five and a half years for most people to get back to break even. And uh, and I was also worried about client at, at the time. I was worried about the banking system, as everybody I think was. And yeah. so I moved a lot of my clients into gold, uh, just because I thought that was the safest thing to be in. I I was only in it for about six months, and then when I saw that banks were going to collapse, I uh, I moved back into repositioning. But that's the time to, to do it. Also. You know that's and you, and you want to be in liquid things so that when the market actually does hit a bottom and starts to come back, and again you can see that when the economic indicators they started to turn uh, in March of uh, of two thousand and nine, and and really by April and May you saw major turnarounds in these economic indicators and things started going up, and you know that's the time to get back in, but you're you would be buying at the bottom of the market then. Yeah, that yeah was, Paul, and we, we talked a, a while back about that when you try to shift these portfolios that are in a taxable account, we have some tax exposure when you sell out and, and go to a certain another position, whether it's bonds or cash or gold. Well, how do you handle the tax issue around changing these portfolios? I know I, I know your principles say you'll you'll still do better than staying in the market, but, but how do you explain that to it to a client when they say, hey, I just got a tax hit of X on my portfolio because I made this move because they can't really see that future yet. How do you how do you walk them through that? You know, I've I've been I've been managing money for well over twenty years now, and I have gone through this over and over know, and that's over again <laughs> with clients. Yeah, is that I, I as an attorney too, I've always think it's a mistake to let uh, the tax situation because you're talking about capital gains taxes, which nowadays aren't all that high, wag the investment dog, and it keeps people in bad investments. I mean, you know, think of think of, of, of everything that's changed uh, in the world. You know, you see companies like Sears, which, you know, those were great companies at one time, and now it's, you know, the, people were telling me, uh, back uh, in the recession that they didn't want to sell out because they didn't want to pay taxes. Well, when the market goes down 57% uh, and you could have gotten out and paying a 15% capital gains taxes, I mean, you don't have to be much of a mathematician to realize that you made a real mistake. Right. Yep. Yeah. It's a challenge for us because we, as a family office for our families, we we try to manage all that tax exposure to how they build their wealth and trusts or whatever it might be. So it's always a challenge for us to get in that position of, I know we're not timing the market, but if you read these indicators based on your input here, uh, I I, want to make sure the listeners understand that there's other pieces of the pie they got to watch as they do these maneuvers if they choose to do that. There's going to be some tax tax loss chain. You know, I mean, all the tax, tax loss management uh, there are a whole bunch of things that you can make sense, but you know, in the end, uh, you're not. If you're not paying taxes, you're not making any money. <laughs> and, uh, and, and so, and, our guidance would be: go back to your <laughs> your tax advisors 
and make sure they're in the loop as you make these decisions because I think our clients have to understand that their CPA is going to be a very important part of this discussion to look at the losses and, and generate some some offsets with uh, with lost harvesting, et cetera. So that, that's, that's exactly a critical right. piece of this. Okay. Yeah. And one of the things I'm, um, I, I talk a lot about on television is disruptive technologies. And I mean, we've seen so much of it. Oh, you know, what Walmart did to Main Street retailers and what Amazon has done to malls and some real estate investing uh, and, and companies like Sears and other retailers and what Apple did to BlackBerry. Uh, I had a client who is had some of the biggest uh, ownership positions in BlackBerry. And uh, and they just wouldn't get out, and you know the company nearly collapsed uh, after after a few years of Apple iPhones, and uh, and they didn't do it because of the taxes. And I, every everything I've seen over twenty years is that you know you got to pay attention, you know taxes, but you also have to be pay attention to the underlying investments. And you have to pay attention to the underlying direction of the economy. Yeah, that's that's a great point. Now, as far as the recession for us here <laughs> in the United States, I know that I know we're having a lot of pressure globally as we speak. Uh, there are a lot better, or excuse me, a lot worse position than we are as a country. How, how will that impact the next 18, 24 months as we slide into a potential recession here in the United States? Well, there's. Uh, I believe that Europe will probably go into recession first. Uh, we'll probably go into recession. Uh, recession second. Emerging markets might go into recession, but I don't. That won't affect much of the U.S. market. Um, I don't think Asia. It'll slow down, but it won't technically go into a recession. I mean, China's still growing at. Five six percent, which is really good, uh, but that's that's much less than they have been. Uh, but uh, they probably won't actually go into negative growth, and so um, it will have some effect. But um, uh, you know, if we get a trade agreement, uh, eventually, I mean, eventually we will. There's no question about it. Eventually we will. Uh, I think uh, that will. That will help the U.S. because we do more trading with Asia than we do with Europe. You mentioned um, you mentioned Brexit uh, a little earlier, Paul, and and that being more noise than anything else. Can you can you elaborate a little bit on? Because I mean that is something that you know obviously when it occurred was a, a major news item, and the stock market did dip pretty substantially, and then it obviously came back pretty yeah. substantially, but. Uh, elaborate on why that that isn't as big of a of a major issue for the world than than maybe the pundits say it is. Yeah, well, the one of the first times when after Brexit passed, uh, I think the market went down eighteen percent. Uh, it was a it was a serious correction. Yeah, uh, and then about two weeks later, everyone realized that. Uh, nothing was going to change for a couple of years, which it hasn't, uh, and that it had no effect on the U.S. economy. Everything that we do with trading with Great Britain will be exactly the same. Everything we do with trading with Germany and France afterwards will be exactly the same. However, it is going to create 
if if they do no deal Brexit, meaning that they can't come to an agreement, Britain can't come to an agreement with the European Union, you know, it's going to be a mess for Britain for probably several months until they get new customs set up. You know, there will be shipping problems. Uh, but I don't think it's going to be near as bad as uh, a lot of people think. But even if it is, it's just going to be a you know it's going to be a mess for their economy. But it's not going to have any effect whatsoever on the U.S. economy. Yeah, one of the other issues that pops up with our families that we when we speak to them in general terms, it pops up occasionally on the political scene. Uh, obviously, we're going to an election next year. And there's always a question, well, if the Democrats get in, what does that really mean? If Donald Trump stays in office, what does that mean? What is your perspective on the political sides of things? And will that impact the markets? I know typically it doesn't for long periods of time, but but I'd like to get your insight into that. You know, I mean, just as I think the economy has, uh, I mean, there are there are things I like about Trump's policies. There are loads of things about him and the way he does business that uh, <laughs> it makes it hard to like him. Uh, but uh, with his with the tax cuts, that's definitely boosted the economy. Uh, the 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 Obama administration. I think any reasonable person. Uh, thinks that they went overboard on regulating business, and it was really stifling business and particularly small businesses here in the United States. Um, and I think that uh, if the Democrats win the presidency, they'll they'll be reversing, you know, just as President Obama put in all these regulations by fiat, he just he did it by executive orders. Uh, they didn't come from through Congress. They weren't thought through particularly well. Uh, Trump has reversed most of those again by executive order. I think, uh, depending on who who wins the Democratic nomination, but especially if it's uh, Sanders or Warren or someone like that, uh, they're going to even go further in regulating uh, the economy, and so that will have, a, I think, a negative effect uh, on on the economy. I. That's been some of the better things that Trump has done. I'm not crazy about some of his environmental um, regulations, but uh, in general, he's really taken off uh, a lot of that burden. And some of it was just crazy stuff that was being passed uh, before. So I think all in all, I, I and I think the... Uh, I think there will be a trade agreement eventually, and um, you know one of the things that people don't understand. I talk to the, I, I'm I'm friends with a number of the people on the trade talks who are actually negotiating with the Chinese. Uh, is that for a while they were thinking that the Chinese just wanted to get beyond Trump, wait until after the election, and they thought they could get a better deal from Joe Biden or from the Democrats, who's ever. The Democratic nominee, uh, and now I'm told as of last week that they've switched on that. That they understand that the Democratic Party today is not the Democratic Party of Bill Clinton and even Barack Obama, who negotiated the Trans-Pacific uh, Partnership. And both Obama and Clinton were 
free traders and globalist. And now you're seeing in the progressive wing of the of the Democratic Party, uh, they are really anti uh, free trade. Uh, the, the labor unions are their biggest funder, and they're not only the biggest funder for the presidential candidates, uh, but the biggest funders for both the Senate and the House seats. And one of the things that they've done is they basically said, if you want to take our money, you cannot uh, vote for these free trade agreements. And if you look at the the deal that President Trump negotiated with the new NAFTA with Mexico and Canada, which is a hundred times better than the old NAFTA, and yet it's being blocked by Nancy Pelosi and the Democrats because uh, the unions are opposed to it. And so I think the Chinese have realized that, you know, as as difficult as Donald Trump is and as mercurial as Donald Trump is, he's he at least is believes in free trade. And if they come to an agreement, they they know he'll he'll sign it and he'll do it. But I think they're thinking that, you know, the Democrats don't want any free trade agreement with the Chinese, and they just as soon keep the tariffs at 25 percent and make it impossible for people. They, they're they hoping that manufacturers would come back to the United States, and that's what the union position is. Well, Paul, this is this is really fascinating, and, and I'd really, I know we're running a little bit low on time, but I really would like to continue this conversation in particular because I think it's it has so many different uh, dynamics and variables to it that I think uh, our listeners would really find value in continuing this conversation. But again, I know we're running out of time, so we'd love to have you back um, to continue this talk uh, uh, on a future podcast. Um, but we want to thank you for your time. This was great. Yeah, thank you, Paul. Thank you. Guys, this was fantastic. And yes, this podcast is a little long, but I don't think anybody is hitting that stop button because the oh, information, I, I, yeah, good stuff, Paul. it's good stuff. Good stuff. All right. Thank you guys so much for your time, Paul. I'm looking forward to the next podcast. We're bringing you back as a guest. Are you, are you ready to go? I'm ready to go. All right. I appreciate it. And thank you all for listening to the Truth About Wealth podcast with John and Michael Paris. If you have not subscribed to the podcast yet, please click the subscribe now button below. This way, when John and Michael come out with a new podcast, it'll show up directly on your listening device. This makes it much easier to share these podcasts with your friends and family. And since this is the talk of the town right now, this is the one you want to share. Get it out there. Again, thanks for listening today. For everyone at Copper Beach Financial Group, this is Eric Johnson reminding you to live your best day every day. And we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to the Truth About Wealth podcast. Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guest and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of Copper Beach Financial Group. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning. This material is for informational purposes only. Neither APFS nor its representatives provide tax, legal, or accounting advice. Please consult your own tax, legal, or accounting professional before making any decisions. 
Securities offered through American Portfolio Financial Services, Incorporated, a member of FINRA SIPC, investment advisory and financial planning services offered through American Portfolio Advisors, Incorporated, an SEC-registered investment advisor. Copper Beach is an unaffiliated entity of APFS and APA. Any opinions expressed in this forum are not the opinion or view of American Portfolios Financial Services Incorporated APFS or American Portfolios Advisors Incorporated APA and have not been reviewed by the firm for completeness or accuracy. These opinions are subject to change at any time without notice. Any comments or postings are provided for informational purposes only and do not constitute an offer or a recommendation to buy or sell securities or other financial instruments. Readers should conduct their own review and exercise judgment prior to investing. Investments are not guaranteed, involve risk, and may result in a loss of principal. Past performance does not guarantee future results. Investments are not suitable for all types of investors.